Good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 25th, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator this morning. The share ID for Friday, October 23rd, is 8142. That's 8142. This morning, A Vision for You presents a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual condition. The OA 12 Steps are a game plan for living. They are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Through implementing steps one through nine, we have had a transformation, a profound alteration in our attitude toward life. As a result, we are restored to sanity. The mental obsession has been driven out. The only requirement is that we stay in fit spiritual condition. Joining us this morning is Yolanda F., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Yolanda is committed to the 12-step design for living, and she's with us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope. Welcome to the line, Yolanda. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Please bear with me. I'm not the most organized, but I'm going to do the best I can. Uh, I just want to um, thank you, for uh, Leah, for for what you just spoke of, because um, I just love uh, listening to, to you speak. You always make everything so clear. I hope I can do the same. But anyway, I'm going to start by giving everyone a little um, vision of what it was like for me. I've always had a strange relationship with food uh, from my childhood. All events for me were focused on the food and how fast I could get back to it. Anytime, like we were at a party or an event, I, unlike the other children who were playing and had other things on on their mind, my my only thought was how fast I could get back to get seconds. Um, I didn't know at the time that there was something wrong with me. That's just the way I was. I was never, um, I was never thin as a child. I was always overweight. And um, my my cousin still has pictures of me uh, one summer wearing a, a polka dot raincoat. I had gotten a polka dot raincoat, and I wore it all summer because I was insecure about the way I looked. I just was never comfortable in my skin. So you would see pictures of everybody with their shorts and tank tops and me with my polka dot raincoat. Uh, When I got to sixth grade, I was old enough to travel around by myself because it was a long time ago, and so I was able to uh, get money from my, my parents gave me money. I got on the bus, and I went to Weight Watchers. Because as I got older, I got more insecure about my weight. And, of course, I didn't know what the problem was. Um, so I, was, I managed to lose some of my weight in, in uh, Weight Watchers, enough so that I can go to high school at, um, at a decent way. I didn't want to go into high school obese. And I, and I managed to do that. 
So from then, I started, that's when I started my series of diets, and people would say to me, my family members, my friends, oh, you have so much willpower. So I thought I did have willpower. Um, I thought I knew I was controlling my weight because I did for for a long time. Um, after after high school, I found other ways to control my uh, weight, and it was through substances. Uh, started with diet pills and uh, then narcotics, alcohol, whatever. So I kept my weight under control, but I kind of like changed hats and went into something else. I don't really, I don't really count that as as a gold weight, but I was there. Um, my weight got out of control when I put the substances down and I had my son. And that was back, of, um, well, I had him in the 80s, but I, I put the uh, substances down. And um, the food popped up again, really strong for me. So in 2000, I went to OA because although I thought I was controlling it, I thought I knew how to control my weight. I couldn't. I couldn't get it under under control. I'd gone on the Internet and I did some research and um, tried some more diets. I even read something on the Internet about giving up flour and sugar as a means of uh, losing weight. And I thought that was ridiculous. I said I would never do that. And um, so I kept trying to find other ways. In 2000, I I ended up in OA, and um, I stayed for a while. I lost about 15 pounds because at that time, that's what I would do. I'd lose my 10 or 15 pounds, and then I'd treat myself and um, blow up again. So um, I did the same with OA. My first time in, it was another diet for me. It was a diet club. I I didn't learn too much. I I don't think I was introduced to the big book, or um, and I didn't learn about what was going on with me, why I kept eating. But um, it was a start. But I left OA, and... Um, my eating disorder progressed, and when I say progress, I'm talking about um, binging in the car, um, binging at work, not being able to do my job. I, I had a position where I, I ran a store, and at night, if I was the only manager on, I would go in the back and bench, so nobody really was running the store. My 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 eating was totally out of control. Um, and again, the roller coaster of diets until finally I got to the point where I said, that's it, I'm not doing these diets anymore. I'm accepting myself for who I am. And um, And I did. I just gave up on dieting. But what happened was I was still miserable. So I needed to do something. I ended up back in L.A., and that was in uh, 2004. I uh, found this meeting in New Jersey because I live in Staten Island, so I went off the island into New Jersey, and um, I heard about different things that I hadn't heard about before, and I met this nice woman who uh, gave me her number, 
and she would call me every so often, and I was still into the disease. I couldn't, I didn't hear too much, but um, one day I was in a place where I, I was in my bed after a binge, and I was uh, kind of like in a coma. And I was having trouble with my phone that day. It wasn't really working, but for some reason, and I would think that would be God, her call came through, and she was very, you know, upbeat. Hi, how are you? She, this is Heidi. I was like, oh, hi, how are you? And she says, um, there's a, um, a, a retreat weekend, uh, and she, a marathon meeting. It was a marathon meeting she invited me to. And it was on a Sunday. I had to work. And I said, you know, I'm going to go to this meeting. Well, things happened with my uh, disorganized life, and by the time I get, got to that meeting, I had like an hour. So here I was, and I had all these meetings going on, on these breakout sessions, and I had about an hour to get something. And I went and sat in a meeting, and the meeting was um, about the, about the uh, tools, and they had them all listed on this board, and we had to reach into a hat, pick out a tool, and discuss it. I really wasn't familiar with um, the tools, and as I, I read down that board, I realized that the only thing that I was familiar with was anonymity. And um, I, I, I didn't have a plan of eating. I had no type of spirituality, no program, but I knew that I was always keeping my addiction, I was trying to keep my addiction a secret the way I ate. So I felt that I ha- I was familiar with anonymity in that respect, and that's about all I, I knew. But anyway, as I sat through that meeting, and um, that was the first time I, I really listened and, and learned about what um, this program had to offer me. It was after that that I um, I got involved with OA here in, in my hometown, and I got into this um, meeting where they gave me a food plan, and um, we followed certain rules, and I was able to lose the weight, all of it, for the first time ever by eating right. I had gotten to go weight. And... Um, I was on this high from from doing this. I had I had lost all my weight, and you know it was new. And people who hadn't seen me thought, "Oh, you look good, fine." And you know, I was on this high from this weight loss. And um, in March of 2005, I went to get my taxes done, and my accountant hadn't seen me in between me losing all this weight, and he says to me. Oh, you look great. I said, thanks. And um, I don't know how the subject got around to my, my birthday and me having a cake, but he said to me, oh, you look great. You can have a piece of cake for your birthday. And um, being still um, sick, I didn't run this by anybody um, in a way. I felt he's good enough. He's my accountant. He's been handling my uh, 
my taxes for years and doing a great job, that was good enough for me. I went with it. So I had that piece of cake for my birthday. And um, from that point on, I went back to trying to control the food again. So um, I went back on that seesaw, up and down and up and down. Um, so in, uh, in the big book, okay, I have to, uh, I just wanted to read where I was on page 30 in the big book. It says, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink and eat like other people. And that was me. Although I'd been in OA, I had an understanding of what was going on with me. I still kept trying to be normal eat and drink like normal people. I couldn't imagine giving up my binge foods and particularly cake. I had this obsession with it. I couldn't imagine giving that up. And um, I, I would get my abstinence and I would lose my abstinence. I would get my abstinence, I would lose my abstinence. I um, finally came to a point where I was able to uh, do it again, get my abstinence back. And it took a lot of work. And I did that for a while. But um, I found out that although I was able to maintain my abstinence and um, I was able to maintain a healthy body weight, there was something missing. And what was missing for me was that I really hadn't, although I had thought I'd gone through the uh, 12 steps, I really hadn't done it correctly. Well, first of all, I don't think I was thorough on my fourth and fifth. And secondly, once I finished going through the steps, I kind of like put it on the shelf and thought I could kind of like just do my own thing because I had done it. I didn't realize that this, in order to stay abstinent, there were certain things I had to do. It wasn't just about being abstinent at this point. It was in order to live life on life's terms and and in order to be comfortable in my own skin. I found out that it wasn't just about the food. The food I learned was a symptom but it wasn't until I went through the steps, I guess it was maybe the third or fourth time, but this time I I saw it different. I, I, I felt like my life depended on it. So I did everything that I, my sponsor said, I, um, and I went through it quickly because I was so miserable that I just wanted to come out to, on the other side of it. After I went through my steps the right way, 
I would say, and that would be the, the way it's described in this big book. Things began to open for me, and my life began to change. So, what happens after that? Today, I realized that um, I've learned that I have to... Um, There's certain things that I have to do all the time in order to stay abstinent. Um, my abstinent state goes back to November 2011, and I've been I've been working this program for a long time. But I finally put the food down in, in November 2011, and. I have to tell you that although I've gone through my steps, again, I didn't keep working this program because I know today it's daily. So I was, I was, what I thought I was doing was working a good program, and I guess I was, but I still had that thought in my mind that one day I could eat like a normal person. I still had it in the back of my mind. And... um Someone had said to me, well, you haven't taken the first step. And I, I didn't understand that. I said, but of course I've taken the first step. I, I know that I'm powerless over food. But obviously I didn't because I kept going back. So on November 27, 2011, I sat with my family and um, actually it was my son's family on Thanksgiving, and I had been doing well. And I had this um, hors d'oeuvre tray. And I didn't know these people that well, so I felt that, well, just for today, I'll eat normal. Now, mind you, I've been going through this for years, and I still thought that I could do it one more time. And I saw the... uh, the tomatoes and the cheese, the hors d'oeuvres. I said I could have some of those tomatoes. That would be part of my vegetable. And I could have a little bit of that cheese, and that will be part of my protein, and I'll just subtract that off from my dinner. Um, but my eyes, my eyes are not good at measuring subtracting off. In the, the big book says, and it stays in my mind, I can't differentiate the truth from the false. And that was like one of those moments. That was a lie I was telling myself. So I went with that lie. And um, I sat down for dinner after having my um, hors d'oeuvres, and there was uh, stuffing. And now I had given up flour and sugar. But um, she said, oh, you have to try my stuffing. And I didn't want to be rude because I didn't know these people that well. That's what my mind told me. That was another lie. And I said, okay, I'll have a little bit of of the stuffing. Um, Four days later, or or five days later, I don't remember, my my friend, he hadn't heard from me because I kind of like disappeared after that. I I went into a binge and I went into my own world. And... um, he he finally got a hold of me. I finally answered it. What, where where are you? Where have you been? Oh, I'm fine. What's wrong? <laughs> he could hear that something was wrong in my voice. 
Um, so I, I, he insisted, so I finally told him where I was, and he um, got me out of a pizzeria. Told me to get in his car. I got in his car. I drove around with him while he did some errands. He didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> he knew I was in big trouble because he knew I had a problem with food and I was back into it. And he said, call somebody. Just call somebody. And I did. I called someone in program. And um, then he dropped me off at my car. And he said, and I, and I told him and the person on the phone that I was good and I was going to get myself together. Meanwhile, I had like a dozen of cupcakes in the back of the car. And um, when he left me alone, of course, I finished that off. But um, I'm proud to say, I'm grateful to say, that was the last time that I binged. And I love telling that story because I need to remember where I came from. I need to remember that I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, what happens to me when I pick up the food, there's um, there's a person in, in, in OA who told me that, who had said at a meeting, Weight Watchers never work for me because when it comes to they they tried to teach me how to eat like a normal person. And when it comes to eating, I'm not normal. And um, that resonated with me because I had tried Weight Watchers seven times. I thought it was the best diet in the world. Maybe it is, but for normal people. I saw my um, girlfriend's sister go to Weight Watchers, lose all her weight, and stay and stay like that. I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. One time I um, I bought a $175 membership for 10 weeks. I thought that was surely the answer because I just spent $175. Why would I um, go back to eating? I never took the second ticket back. I never went back. Um, today, I have... Um, this program of recovery, this 12-step program that I am so grateful for because it's given me my life back. So what I have to do today is different from what I did in the past. First of all, I, I have evolved over the years in terms of my food. I understand today that I can't have sugar, I can't have flour. I also can't have wheat and I can't have other things. That's okay. You know, I've accepted that today. There's um there's a passage in this big book that I love. Well, there's a couple of them, but this one I'm going to read to you because when this happened to me, um I had heard before I got to this point in the room, people say things like, I don't have any desire to eat those things anymore. And I never believed them. I heard people in the room say that these promises had come true for them. I didn't believe that because at that point where I was, I couldn't believe 
that I would ever get to a point where I didn't want to eat cake. I couldn't believe that could happen for me. And I couldn't see these promises coming true. But in this book, it says on page 84, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recall from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react. So as long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So this is this is what happened for me. I don't know when I crossed over that line where um I would stay away from certain things and and it just like it describes like a hot flame. I won't go near it if I think that it has um any of my binge foods in it. Because or, or the ingredients from my, my binge food. I'm very careful with what I eat, and, and it's just natural for me. And if I am in those very rare moments, in a position where I'm not sure what's in it, then I have my higher power. Well, he's always there. But I'll pray to him that just in case, dear God, please, and he he takes care of it. So... I don't, I don't fight it anymore. I'm, I'm not white knuckling it. I'm not waiting for the diet to be over so I can go back and, and have a piece of whatever because that doesn't work for me anymore. And I don't know when it was that I didn't even want it, but um, today I don't. But I'm still a compulsive overeater. So if I get a tight or a situation comes up. Sometimes that thought will come into my mind and I'll say, well, that's not happening. And instead I'll put my energy on focusing on a solution for whatever the problem is. Um, I have to, today I have to live in the solution. And then I can, I can live without fighting or wanting to have food that I'm not supposed to have. But, you know, I call this, a caveat here at the end of this paragraph that I just read where it says that that is how we react so as long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. That is, that's just the way it is. So I've been abstinent for many days put together and um, I just don't do this on my own. I only do it by being in fit spiritual condition, staying in fit spiritual condition. 
um, I figured out that the reason why I kept going back to to the food is because I kept trying to um, be be normal, and there's certain things I need to do because I'm not, and that's okay today. I understand that. So there's certain things I need to do on a daily basis, and um, when I'm not doing these things, I forget because I have amnesia. And um, uh, there's certain things I do, such as um, I'm reading and writing. Um, every day I'm, I'm looking at something that has to do with recovery, mostly from the big book. Um, every day I talk to other people. I get to talk to other people who are just like me all the time. When I was kind of like um, doing it on my own, I sometimes talk to people in recovery. There are certain things that I did sometimes. Um, I sometimes weighed and measured my food. Today I do it all the time. I'm one of those compulsive overeaters. Like I, I have no um, no vision. I have to have a beginning and an end, and it has to be weighted measured. I need to know exactly what's going in my mouth, and I need to know how much. I, I gave up that trying to do it on my own because I, I felt that I was, for me, I'm inconsistent. So um, that's that's the way I I eat today, and that's okay. Um, I I every day I do the inventory from the big book. Where was I resentful, dishonest, or, or afraid? Do I owe an apology? What could I have done better? You know, I'm asking myself every day. Well, maybe I could have. Um, on to guard more. Maybe I could have been more patient. Maybe I could have... I'm always looking at myself to see what I can do to improve. Um, So, this is... um, This is part of my staying in fit spiritual condition. Uh, I go to meetings... I love going to meetings. I love talking to people. And as I was saying before, like I said, I skip around sometimes, but before I found part of my problem was that I would disconnect and I thought that I could do that. Like, you know, I can go several days without uh, doing certain things, uh, talking to people in program, going to meetings, um, doing my prayer meditation, um, Reading, there's certain things I thought I could just not do. I didn't have to do these things all the time. Um, But today, these promises have come through for me, and it's because I do certain things every day. And um, I'm looking at the promises in the book, and it says here, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the, the word serenity and we will know peace. And no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit us. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in in ourselves. 
self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude towards um, life will change. Fear of people and that's economic insecurities will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us, and we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So I was able to finally see all these things come true in my life. But this first line is very important to me, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development. To me, it means that I needed to work for this recovery. And um, I needed to go to any length for this recovery. And that's what I do today. I mean, I go, anytime I go out of town, I go to a meeting. I love to meet people in different places. Um, I work my life around my programs of recovery, around the program of recovery. Um, like simple things. If I'm going out for the day, I know what, what I'm going to eat because I don't like to be left out there at the mercy of these fast food restaurants. And I don't like to, um, if I'm with other people and they want to do something, I don't want to interfere with what they want to do. So, you know, I'm very careful with making sure my food is in place. So I, I go through a lot of different things. So I am I am painstaking about this phase of my development. I do a lot of work in order to stay here. What I've noticed over the past couple of years in my recovery is that these promises, they come through in different ways, and a lot of it is a part of the change in me by applying the 12 steps to my life and the principles of the program. So I see things different. So a, a lot of a lot of this, the promises are, are through the change in, in me. But, um, okay. Okay, I'm just doing a time check. There's one other thing I want to cover that's important to me in my recovery and really resonated with me. It's in the key, the keys of the kingdom, and that's page three eleven in the third edition, edition. But I know it's in the other book as well. AA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life, and the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he lives. We do not and cannot outgrow this plan. As arrested alcoholics, we must have a program for living that allows for limitless expansion. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our arrestment. Others may idle in a retrogressive groove without too much danger but retrogression can spell death for us. However, this isn't as rough as it sounds as we do become grateful for the necessity that makes us toe the line. For we find that we are more we, we find that we are more than compensated for a consistent effort by the countless dividends we receive. 
So this is kind of like a summary of of my recovery. And I'd just like to uh, go through this paragraph. AA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. Uh, See, that's what I used to do. Even when I so-called went through the steps, I would be, I thought I would be finished and done with. I would put it on the shelf. I didn't do what I needed to do, um, which is constantly apply the steps of my life and work this program. Um, it is a way of life, and the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he lives. So what happens is by following these um, 12 steps in these, these, these principles, it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me striving to do better and to do more. Um, we do not and cannot outgrow this plan. And I find that I can never outgrow away. I can never learn enough. I'm always learning and, and new things are always opening to me. As arrested alcoholics, we must have a program for living that allows for limited expansion. There's a saying, if we're not going forward, forward, we're going backwards. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our arrestment. I have to be in front of this disease. Others may idle in retrogressive groove without too much danger, but retrogression can spell death for us. So I looked up the word retrogression, and it means the process of turning to an earlier state, typically a worse one. And I found that I was the queen of retrogression because I would do okay. I would lose weight. I would be doing okay, maintaining for a while. But then I would turn back to that earlier state, and um, which for me meant that occasionally I could have certain things. But then when I did, what happened to me afterwards was worse than the last time. It always got worse, never better. Um, okay. Sorry, I lost my place. However... Others may idle in a retrogressive groove without too much danger, but retrogression can spell death for us. However, this isn't as rough as it sounds, as we do become grateful for the necessity that makes us toe the line. For we find that we are more than compensated for a consistent effort by the countless dividends we receive. So, toe the line, more than compensated, countless dividends we receive. One of the most important things that I can do today is service. And I learned that from all of you. Um, On page 77 in the big book. And again, on page 102 in the big book, it reminds us that 
we are here to to, to do service for each other. And um, I can't, I can't, 77, right here. It says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to the people about us. Okay? And then um, on 102, there's a similar line that speaks about service. I go back to those lines often because I, I, I find that um, I was a very selfish person. So this, this program has taught me that in order to be happy, joyous, and free, I need to be not selfish and I need to be involved with others. So today I am. Um, but anyway... To, to sum it up, those countless benefits that I receive from working this program of recovery. I turn on, I jotted them down. Hold on. Okay. My gifts, the gifts of recovery. And this is why I uh, do certain things every day, and this is what I get from it. I got to know my God, and he is always there for me. I have a life today. I get to show up for my family and be there when they need me, parties, outings, or wherever. I'm just there today. I get to help people. I get to do service all the time. I get to take care of my aunt and care. I get to smile at the counter person at the store. I get to be there for my grandchildren. I get, to, I get to be positive, and if I'm not, for a minute, I get to help somebody else because I was told in this big book to help somebody else to get out of yourself. I'm also told that I must refrain from negative thinking, and that's huge in my life because negative thinking can take me to places I just don't want to be, and that usually can lead me back to the food. So I have things that I do when that happens like make a phone call, go help someone else and get out of myself. It always works. I turn it over to God. Um, I got to start a new career because of these countless things that I do today. I got to start a new career. I get to exercise and dance. I get to eat well and I enjoy my food. I get to travel. Most of all, I'm not alone. Being a compulsive overeater is a norm for me now, and that's okay. Because I have other people I fellowship with that do this with me every day. All of you out there who understand me and who I am, I'm not alone. Actually, I'm for you with, with this with the group of people that I'm with today that know me. I'm normal. I am I am recovered, and there are millions of people dealing with this, this with this disease. And God has helped me put the food down. What a blessing! I I mean I feel like anyone who has been able to stop eating compulsively has been truly blessed and 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 chosen. And I'm just so grateful that I for today, as long as I do certain things for today, I am. As long as I remember who I am, as long as I remember what I need to do daily. So as long as I remember who is really in charge, 
as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition, I can keep all these gifts and so many more because my, my life keeps evolving and it just gets better thanks to the gifts of this program, thanks to my higher power, and thanks to all of you out there who do this with me. Thank you. I pass. Thank you so much, Yolanda, for sharing your story of transformation with us this morning. Your experience and personal insights have certainly carried a message of hope and possibility to those on the line. We thank you so much. Yolanda's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We're going to transition now to a question and answer period. If you have any questions for Yolanda, feel free to Press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself. Hi, Leah. It's Mary Lee in California. Hi, Mary Lee. Hold on one second. Anyone else? Yes, this is Melissa from Nashville. Hi, Melissa. One moment. And anyone else in this grouping for questions? Maria D. Maria D. Excellent. Sophia. Sophia from Michigan. You should stand her time. Sure. Sophia, what's the first initial of your last name? Uh, D, like dog. Okay. All right, let's start with Mary Lee, please. Go ahead, Mary Lee. Good morning, everyone. This is Mary Lee R. in Paso Robles, California, soon to be Oregon. Oh, thank you. There were so many similarities in your story, especially the beginning part. And I was wondering if you could give me a brief outline of how you take one of your sponsorees through your program, or the program, sorry. Yes. Um, well, I work a I work a program, and I usually um, and I and I follow that. And what we do is I give them a series of questions that were given to me. Um, they answer these questions, and that takes them through the first three steps. And then from there, the rest from four through twelve, we go through together. Um, in the big book. So um, I take them through the big book. My um, my sponsorees, they, they call me every day. Um, we talk about what they're going to eat. Uh, so that's out of the way. And um, then we, they answer, answer their questions and, and I, you know, they, they answer the questions from the big book. And that's how we we work right from the book, right from the book. Thank you, Mary Lee R, for that question. Melissa, your turn. I did not catch the first initial of your last name, Melissa. If you could offer that, please. I'm sorry, I was muted. It's H as in happy. Thank you. Go ahead. I was wondering if you, um, first of all, thank you. I I loved your story. Um, It really helped me. Could you share 
some of the specific uh, pages that you quoted out of the big book. I wasn't able to write those down when you were talking. Okay. Um, I talked about the promises, and that's on page 83 and 84. Uh, More about alcoholism on page 30. And um, the paragraph from the keys to the kingdom, I kind of lost that page as I was reading. But I'll see if I can find it. If not, you can call me and I'll I'll get that page for you too. Okay, uh, thank you. But it was in the section of the book about keys to the kingdom. Yeah, it's a story in the big book called Keys to the Kingdom. Okay, great. That 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 will be great. Any and so eighty three, eighty four, thirty, and then the story Keys to the Kingdom. Right, and then I think I also mentioned um, excerpts from the doctor's opinion, which actually, if you're new with the big book, um, the best place to start would be there at that doctor's opinion. Okay. Um, because that kind of like, for me, it, it it tells me, it explains what what's going on with us, and it explains why we do what we do as a compulsive overeater. And um, you you could call, you know, you can call me or call someone and ask them to go over it with you, but um, the best place to start is is there. Thank you very much, and thank you for mm-hmm. your service, and I'll pass. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Melissa H. Maria D., please. Thank you, Leah. Yolanda, thank you for your for your uh, story. There was a lot I um, was able to identify with in what you shared. I'm wondering if in your uh, spiritual practice, your program practice, you differentiate the service that you provide in program and the service that you provide to your family, your neighbors, your community, the world at large? That's my question. Thank you. Well, um, there's no difference, and and no, I don't. There is no difference. Um, I I do a certain amount of service in in the fellowship because um, that's that keeps me um, helps keep me grounded and helps remind me what I need to do. I mean, just like. Um, uh, one time I, I, I did a service of being a uh, speaker, speaker for one of for my uh, home group meeting. And uh, that was a wonderful service because I got to speak to so many people. So that helped me tremendously. And then like out in the community or with helping my aunt or helping people at work, that's a totally different service. But by helping them, I get, you know, it helps me. And, um, I just I just see by working this program that service is what keeps us all um well it keeps me it keeps me abstinent. And by doing service I'm doing I feel God's will. I think God intended us to 
help each other because it's just the way the world is created. I mean, like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if all of you didn't help me. And you'll go to the next part in your life by helping others. And, you know, for me, that was just such a rare concept because when I was in my disease, I was so selfish that when I... I went to this meeting and I asked the question, what is the, um, what is the uh, most important tool? Mind you, my motive in asking that question was that I just wanted to do um, that tool and get out because I really didn't want to stick around. And when, when she said service, I was like, service? But how could that help me? You know, I couldn't even understand it. Today, I know it's just like whatever service we do makes us feel better, makes us stronger people, and makes us um, doing what I believe God's will is for us. I don't know. I, I hope I answered your question. Thank you so much, Maria D. And Sophia D., it's your turn. You'll need to press star one to unmute. Sophia D. Sophia D. Star one to unmute. Okay, perhaps she's having a little bit of technical difficulty. Who else has a question this morning while we wait for Sophia D.? Mary H. Mary H. Anyone else? Questions for Yolanda, star one to unmute. Linda R. Linda R. Sandy B. Sandy B. Okay, wonderful. Mary H., go ahead, please. Thank you. My name is Mary H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Northern California. And Yolanda, I was um, wondering if you might um, share with us about, I think it's like a a step two question, how you came to believe and maybe how you, uh, what your relationship with God or your higher power was before program and then what changed, you know, and, and that spiritual experience, um, does that question make sense? That's my question. Yes, that's a, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, came to believe that, that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. Um, Mm -hmm. I was pretty uh, desperate and, um, so I, I kind of like had no choice. But to go back to your other question, my relationship before that, I, I grew up as Catholic. So um, that was my relationship with God, that he was all encompassing and he didn't really have time just for me. But being that I was a Christian or Catholic, I felt that in the beginning 
that these steps came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity and came to a part to turn my will and my life over to God. I felt that those steps were natural for me because I had grown up in the church. So I didn't think that was a big deal. As a result, I didn't really understand the true meaning of these steps in a spiritual way. So it wasn't until I um, went through my 12 steps the, um, the last time I went through and my sponsor said to me to write on your conception of a higher power. Um, your conception of what your higher power is and I had to actually sit down and and write about what he was to me. And that made him more personal to me. So it was my desperation that got me to the point to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. It was uh, doing that exercise that brought that power more closer to me because now he was mine. He was there for me. I was on a, I could see myself sitting on a park bench with his arm around me. Um, so that's, um, once once I got that, um, once I came to believe that he could restore me to sanity and I started to turn my will and my life over to him, things got a little bit easier. First of all, I was able to go through the rest of the steps because until... I turned my will and my life over to God, I couldn't really truly do a fourth and fifth step because I couldn't really be honest. I was too afraid to be honest. Because, and I hadn't turned my will and my life over to God, so I didn't trust. So I needed to totally do step two and three so I can open up and, and do the rest of this, this work. And um, today, my relationship with God is, uh, and I choose to call my higher power God, you know, like we substitute for whatever your higher power is, because people do different things, and that's fine. But today, my relationship with God is that he comes first. I know he's there for me. Um, When things are not going well, I'll do a quick prayer and meditation. No matter where I am, I was crossing a busy street one day, and this junk was going through my mind, which I knew wasn't good. And um, I had to turn that over to God. And, and I actually said out loud, God, please help me. And that's all it takes. It's just a simple, God, please help me. And he hears. He, you know, He he's there for me. So, um it doesn't have to be formal. I don't always do a, a formal, um, you know, I'll get up, I'll get on my knees in the morning, I'll, I'll say my prayer. But, like, if I, for some reason, forget, and there are some mornings I do, I'll, I'll do it someplace else. But because he's he's there all the time. There's, there's no form, formality, and he helps me all the time. So I can go into a quick meditation wherever I am if I need to call on my higher power to help me. Did I answer your question? You did. That was wonderful. And I love the imagery of you sitting on a park bench and he's just there with you and with you all the time. So thank you, Yolanda. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mary H. 
Linda R., your turn. Good morning. Linda R., recovered in South Florida. Anyway, thank you, Yolanda, for your wonderful qualification and sharing this morning. You know, it's amazing. I know that I fit right on this line today. The person before me asked my question. But being that, you know, I have my higher power with me, I have another one that came into my mind. (laughs) Most of it was already answered. Um, I just wanted to know a couple of things. Well, the first thing was I was going to ask you, you know, how you, what you describe fit spiritual condition as, and now the second part of our disease, which is our mental obsession. So you did say some of it, like when you get those thoughts, can you really expand a little bit more on what you do in program when you do get the mental obsession? Because as the big book says, and we will, um, how do you handle that? And part of my question is also, you say you weigh and measure all your food. When you go into a restaurant, do you take your scales and measuring cups? With you? I'm just, just curious about that. Thank you. Okay, thank you for the question. Um, let me see. Fit spiritual condition. Is that what, I think that was your first No, mental question. obsession. Mental obsession. How do okay. you handle it when it returns? Okay, um... Well, first of all, I try to keep the the, the mental obsession down um, by not picking up my binge foods. I find that that only comes up if I put something in my body that has sugar in it. Um, Like, for example, I went to a restaurant, this was years ago, and I had um, shrimp uh, cocktail. I figured the shrimp was safe. It wasn't fried or anything. But I didn't know that the cocktail sauce was filled with uh, sugar. So I dipped my shrimp and, into, that, into that sauce. And um, that's when that mental obsession came up because um, I had put something in my body that triggered it. So once that got triggered, then that physical allergy popped up. I, I needed to I needed to have more. There was another time I went out and um my uh with with my dinner, I went to a dinner and a play and there was uh white rice in in the uh meal and uh I ate the white rice. Boom. It was triggered, my mental obsession. So there's there's certain things I just can't eat. So what I do is um, I have this rule that I've been given by all of you or people who do. Uh, sugar has to be fifth ingredient or higher. So anytime I I eat anything or read, I read a lot of labels and um, I make sure that sugar is down, fifth ingredient, to make sure I don't get triggered. Um, uh, sugar is fifth. I, and, and I'm very careful with what I eat because um, as long as I don't put those things in my body, I'm not going to get that mental obsession. Now, what I will get is, um, uh, what do you call it, maybe emotional obsession, like if things are going a little crazy, not the way I particularly like them to be going in life, so it will come in my, in my mind, oh, it would be nice to have, blank, blank, blank. And then I'm, but that's so much easier. I can deal with that because I know I can't have that. I can't pick that up. So 
instead of focusing on going to get that food, I focus on what the problem is, what it is that made me think about that food, and what I can do to solve it. I'll usually turn that over to God, and then there's rules in this big book, and it tells you exactly what to do, and I do exactly that. I turn it over to um, God and another human being. I'll make a phone call, and then I'll go find somebody else I can help, you know, and then I may reach out to a newcomer or somebody else that needs help and program. And um, I usually take those steps, and then that goes away. But that mental thing only happens when I pick up the wrong food. So I just make sure I don't do that today. And um, it was was there another part to your question? Hello? No, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Linda R. Sandy B. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. My question is about negative thinking. And um, now that I've put the food down and gotten rid of all the substances that cause me craving, the negative thinking is like taking over. And there was a time when I thought um, the negative thinking, I think I, it, I don't know, I want to get into it, but I think, you know, it's kind of protecting myself from the what ifs. But um, I now see it as really um, just, my mind uh, looking for something to be upset about. But would you say more about the, the negative thinking? And I know you mentioned some things that you do to help you get out of it, but um, I would appreciate it if you have any more to add to that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the question. Um, well, my suggestion uh, for negative thinking and what works for me is every day I uh, – write up a list of things that I'm grateful for. And um, I suggest that if you're having problems with negative thinking, because I had a sponsee uh, once who had, um, when she came to me, she was pretty negative. And um, so I asked her to write at least 10 things every day that she was grateful for. And um, I personally do that every day. So by my mind getting into a habit of looking at what's good, it makes it more difficult for the bad stuff to take over. Also, we have to, you you mentioned about um, thinking about tomorrow. I have a tendency to stay within today because um, things could happen to change tomorrow. So that's not any guarantee. And what happened, of course, yesterday, that's done. I can't do anything about that. But I can focus on today and make the best out of what's going on today. And then I can let, well, I don't let, but God, he does take care of the, he'll take care of the rest. Um, You know, there's that saying, I do my best and God will do the rest. So I'm taking care of the today. And whatever's going to be tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow. I can't worry about that. I have a hard enough time getting through today. So, um, but, but yeah, being um, grateful, and it could be little things. The fact that I woke up and I opened my eyes. The fact that I can walk. Um, I can see. Yeah, I need glasses, but I can see with them, you know. Um, there's just so many things that, you know, 
I have everything I need for today. You know, I have food in the refrigerator. I have transportation. I can get around. You know, there's, there's so many things. There's so many gifts that we have that we take for granted and we forget about them. So grateful can be from, from soup to nuts, you know, from, from getting out of the bed to the, to the fact that, you know, we have a, a family member that loves us. You know, um, there's a park across the street that you can see that tree. Life is just so good and there's so many great things out there. So I fill my mind with those so that when the, when the negative does come up, and it does, I just know that I don't live there. And I keep myself connected with like-minded people in and out of program. So um, I hope I answered your question. Thank you, Sandy B. Anyone else with questions this morning for you? Sarah W. Matrice J. Sarah W. Matrice J. Anyone else? This will be the final. F. DNF. Hi. Marzi. Marzi. Anyone else? This is the final invitation for questions this morning. Sandy B. saying thank you. Sandy B. says thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Sandy B. <laughs> Anyone else? Jody E. And Jody E. Did I catch everybody? I'll take that as a yes. Okay, Sarah W., your turn. Thank you so much, Leah, for your service this morning. Good morning, Yolanda. I loved your share. It was absolutely beautiful. It really resonated. Um, <clears throat> I, I really liked your um, illustration of the keys of the kingdom. Uh, that was something that I used in a meeting many years ago as a closing. But I'd like to ask you a question. Um, when you have a, we have so many sick and suffering people in our in our program. And I just wondered, um, and I think it's a question that many of us have, and we all deal with it maybe a little differently, but I'm wondering how you deal with somebody that you've been sponsoring for a while that maybe has a, a, a struggle with their food where they pick up, and they keep coming back to you so they haven't just walked away. They're keeping on trying. So I'm wondering how you go about dealing with that issue, and I would really appreciate it an honest answer, and thank you so much for your service. Okay. Um, what I do is I will try to help them, but after X amount of time, say uh, three or four times that this happens, I will suggest that they find someone else to sponsor them because at that point, I feel that I don't have what they need. So I'm not helping them anymore if they keep picking up. And um, this disease is is too too dangerous. It's too serious. And there are many people out there who um, are recovered and that can help them. And maybe I'm just not the one. And that's okay. They'll find the right one. Because, you know, it's not about me and it's not about them. It's about their higher power and their trust and faith in their higher power. So he'll help them. 
and they'll be okay, but it just won't be with me. They would have to move on and find that person he's out there for or she is out there for them. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And, and um, uh, Leah, I just re- remembered that that previous person asked me a question I didn't answer. Uh, do I weigh and measure in restaurants? And, um, yeah, the answer is yes. But I have this um, scale that's um, inconspicuous. I do it so quickly now. People don't even know I'm doing it. I'm, re- I'm really good at it. It's just a, 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 a way of life for me. No biggie. I got over it. Oh, go ahead. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah W., for that question. And Mitris J., your turn. Hi, this is Mitris. I can definitely relate to your story. I appreciate it. But what I wanted to ask that, do you believe that everyone has a individual story and a individual food plan? Because I used to go to certain meetings in my area, and they would say if you're not abstaining from sugar and flour, you wasn't abstinent. Do you believe that? No, I don't believe that. Um I believe that everyone has their own way of um, being abstinent. I believe that for me, I need to abstain from sugar and flour and um, a couple of other things I, I abstain from too. But um, for the for other people, it may not they may not have to. Uh, white rice doesn't bother everybody. It bothers me. So. I have a um, a food plan that's been given to me by a nutritionist, and I've been working with her for about 10 years, so she knows how I am and, and what my needs are. And together, we work on a um, a food plan that's suited for me. Um, but in order to uh, stay abstinent and to follow anything and to have a life, I know that I can't touch sugar and flour. But that's just for me. Thanks so much. I appreciate that because I know a lot of people would say if you're not staying away from sugar and flour, you're not abstinent. And I got very confused about that and resentful. Right. Well, yeah, every, you know, you know yourself and you know what's working for you and what's not. It's about also being honest, you know, as long as we're honest with ourselves and, and um, we can tell the truth from the false because I had a problem with that for a long time. That's in the big book, The Doctor's Opinion. Couldn't differentiate the truth from the false. So, um, yeah, I had a big problem with that, and that's why it took me a little bit longer to realize what it is that I needed to do and what I needed to call, how I needed to look at my abstinence, because mm-hmm. I tried to look at my abstinence different ways. And mm-hmm. um, after years and years and years of trying and um getting myself more and more and more deeper in the disease and and the depression, I had to really look at what's true and what's false. And for Mm -hmm. Yolanda, what was true is that she can't have sugar and she can't have flour ever. End of story. Just, you know, uh, and I could try to say just for today, but um, it's really not for me just for today. It's got to be tomorrow too. 
because when I thought I could do it later on, it got me in trouble. And um, I know in the big book it says um, says something about knowledge. It's, you know, knowledge um, doesn't always give you everything you need, but after having so many experiences, I know that um, I have enough knowledge to know that I have to stay away from sugar and flour. And by working this program and talking to like-minded people, it just gets to be a norm today. So, you know, like I said, I just don't do it alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mitris. Deanne S. Hi, good morning. Thank you very, very much for your share, Yolanda. Thank you, Rhea, for your beautiful service. Um, You know, I just would like to ask if, I know you mentioned that there are questions um, that you start with for sponsees that are coming directly from the big book, and I was wondering if you could say where those are found. Um, That's that's really my question. Okay. Um, my, the questions that I have are developed from the big book. I don't know. It's not like any page in the big book that they're on. Um, but I did get that uh, from, you know, a website. But, you know, that's something if you're interested in, you can give me a call uh, afterwards, and I'll go into detail about where you can find those questions. But they're not in the big book. Okay. They're taken from the big book. Yes, I absolutely yes. would really, really appreciate that. I guess I did have one more question, which is, you know, when when real, you know, newcomers, you know, I met some yesterday in a face-to-face meeting, and my first direction is to ask them to write the, the red, green, I mean, the red, yellow, and green food list. Mm-hmm. Is that also something that you suggest? Um. What I do is I talk to, yes, I do talk to them about um, their binge food. I don't go um, green, yellow, and red, um, but there are certain ways. You know, I, I strongly suggest that my, my sponsees don't eat, you know, straight sugar and um, to read all labels. Um, they 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 have to kind of like figure out what is, what's good for them as far as the rest of it. But uh, sugar is usually one that uh, triggers most people. And um, I I always suggest that they talk to a nutritionist and um, put together uh, some kind of a food plan that works. And see, the, the thing with um, this food plan is that I spent many years trying to figure out my own way of eating. Um, and it just didn't work well for me. I, I, I tried to do a little, I remember combining the Atkins diet with the South Beach diet. I mean, I did all kinds of stuff. And, um, today, like I said, I, I have a nutritionist and together we figure out what I should eat. And then I, I don't really have to worry about it. You know, it just takes it out. But once we identify our binge foods, then we, um, put that into a, a food plan that works for us, eliminating those binge foods, and that usually works. Red, green, yellow, um, 
I I don't know. I just really have um, red and green. I just I I don't trust yellow. Either I don't or I do. It's like things I just don't eat. Thank you very much, Deanne. Mara Z, your turn. This is Jody E. in California. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Good morning, and thank you. Mara Z is here? Yes. Mara Z, go ahead, please. Okay. Thank you so much, Leah. Yolanda, good to hear a, a, a friendly voice from the past. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your share this morning and your honesty. I truly appreciate it. Last August, I succumbed to this disease because I wasn't doing, um, as you had referred to in your past, I was not working the program. I'd gotten through my ninth step amends, was supposedly, quote, unquote, living in 10, 11, 12, and um, started slacking off from that, and no surprise, succumbed to the disease. I have 14 months now, thank you, God, and Mm -hmm. um, I was just curious, do you have a set way of working step 11? And specifically, I want to know, do you write it down every night or do you just say it in your head? I've heard from both parties, and I was just wondering what your preferred method is. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the question. And, yeah, I do um, I do mine on the computer, and I have the template of the, of the question. And... Um, on on good days, it's it's quite easy because the answer is uh, what was I resentful, dishonest? They usually know, and um, I I go through and and I will answer. But it helps me to actually see the template, and sometimes there's no the second day, so I don't have to write write it out because it's there. But um, I look at the template and I fill in wherever needs to be and change whatever needs to be. And um, there's a place there, um, what could you have done better and what have you packed into the stream of life? I looked at that. I answer that on a daily basis because that kind of like tells me if I'm stagnant or, or not, you know, well, like what what did I do? Did I do service? Um, did, I, did I talk to anyone in a way? Did I uh, go to a meeting? Did I do something useful today? I need to look at that every day. I, those things I need to look at. What could I have done better? I need to actually look at that. I don't do I don't do that in my head. I see it. I look at it, and um, sometimes I have to answer it. Sometimes the answer may be the same, but I have to look at it and um, tweak it uh, uh, on a daily basis because that's my way. That's my way of looking at what I'm doing on a daily basis and making sure I'm staying. I'm in check. Because I could, um, I can forget, and I can go into my own self very easily. So I need to know that I'm doing something for someone else aside from Yolanda on a daily basis, and that I'm growing. Thank you, Morzee, for the question. And our last question for the morning comes from Jody E. Good morning, everyone. This is Jody E., a grateful, recovered bulimic in California. Thank you again, Yolanda. I'm sorry for jumping in too soon. Wow, what a beautiful story. Uh, What a beautiful testament to this program. It's so touching. Uh, My question is, um, 
about balance. Someone asked you about service and how you, is it the same to give service in your program as it is to give service to your community? And um, I asked myself that question also, and uh, how to find balance, and what's first things first, what my experience is that I have to put service to my program first, because if I don't, I'll end up losing my abstinence, and then I can't give service to anyone. So how do you find that balance, I guess, is my question. And again, thank you so much, and with that, I pass. That's a good question. Thank you. Um, balance. Balance has always been a challenge for me because um, I've always worked. I, I also have to work in between there, and I do. I know I do service in my work as well. Um, as you said, that is so true. First is a service to my um, my program. Um, I have to put my the program of recovery. I have to put that first. Um, the way I work my program, though, is that I make calls every day or someone calls me every day. So I speak to a, at least four people in program on a daily basis. And so that, that's a service to, to each other. Um, and then from there, I have to uh, respect my my limitations. I need to know when I need to just, you know, sit back and maybe I need to do something for myself, watch a movie, read a book or, or whatever, because I can get very wrapped up in um, things because life is busy, thank God. Life is only busy today because of this program. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't even have a life. It would be in the back room eating. So um, it's just uh, taking time for myself whenever I can, and it doesn't have to be all the time because I don't need that much time. I actually enjoy um, talking to people in program. I actually enjoy my job, and um, which is another service that I do, and, and, I, and I really love just, just being out and about with people and saying something positive to someone, a nice smile to someone. You know, that's service, and, 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 and people appreciate that. Especially here, I live in New York. Not everybody's like that, but you know, it's great. Um, service can be; it doesn't have to always be major. It could be just saying hello and smiling and giving a compliment to count the person. You know, it could be that small. So, oh, I hope I answered your question. I don't know. <laughs> yes, you did. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Jody. Thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Yolanda, for coming on the line this morning telling, sharing with us your story of transformation, how the 12 steps changed your life in such a profound way. We appreciate your service this morning. And I'm going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.